Hello, and welcome to Natasha Explains It All, and happy 2024 to everyone. Today's episode is going to be a 2024 theme because I wanted to talk about two new laws that went into effect on January 1st in the state of California, one that is more local and one that is statewide, both that relate to traffic safety and policing issues. And so I wanted to talk about the laws, my thoughts on them, and make sure that everyone is aware, too, that these laws have now been implemented because they may impact you. The first law is a statewide law called AB 2773 that is related to traffic stops and what officers can and cannot do when they stop you. So AB 2773, effective January 1st, 2024, says that police officers in California, when conducting traffic stops, can no longer basically ask you, why do you think I've pulled you over? What do you think the reason for me pulling you over is? Instead, they must explain to you why they have stopped you. So the officer is now required, if he stops you for you know a, a traffic on traffic stop, to explain to you why you have been pulled over. Now, what's the thinking behind this and what is the context behind this? The idea of having the police officer having to explain why he is pulling you over rather than asking you several open-ended questions that can likely make you feel very nervous and likely to say far more than you need to is because of something called a pretext stop. Pretext stops are very common in the United States and are legal in the United States. Pretext stops are when a police officer uses a traffic violation to stop a vehicle, not to address the traffic violation, such as speeding, for example, or having a broken taillight, but instead to use that as a pretext to stop the vehicle to then conduct a search of either the driver and or the vehicle because the police officer has a hunch that there might be something else in the vehicle or simply to just harass whoever the driver is. And so the traffic violation is a pretext to conduct a a more thorough search. And this has given police officers very broad discretion in terms of who to pull over and what for. And it has resulted in a lot of racial profiling. And this has been demonstrated again and again and again. As one example, there has been a study conducted um, that I believe the Los Angeles Times conducted of the Los Angeles Police Department, LAPD, which is one of the largest police departments in the entire United States, and found that under you know this policy of pretext stops, black and brown drivers were stopped far more than white drivers, even though white drivers were far more likely to have any type of contraband or drugs or weapons, etc. <clears throat> and 
Pretext stops were sanctioned by the Supreme Court of the United States in a 1993, excuse me, a 1996 case called Wren versus United States. And it was a unanimous decision written by then Justice Antonin Scalia, who has since passed. And it basically said, yeah, it doesn't matter if the cop had ulterior motives for stopping the vehicle. As long as there was a traffic violation, the cop can stop the driver. And this is this logic is problematic for many reasons. One being that all of us commit traffic violations all the time. The traffic code is so broad, no matter where you live in the United States, it's not just things like speeding, which again, you could be speeding if you're going simply an, uh, a mile over the speed limit, mile per hour over the speed limit. It also means switching lanes without turning on your turn signal. It also means hanging, you know, a air freshener on your review mirror or following too closely to the vehicle in front of you or not coming to a complete stop at a stop sign, which is a very typical thing. California even has a name. It's called like the California roll um, or the California stop where like you slow down and like almost come to a stop at a stop sign, but you don't fully stop or like not turning your turn signal on when you are making a turn or, you know, um, you know, having one of your bulbs burnt out. There are so many little things that we do all the time when we're driving that are that are traffic violations. And because all of us commit them all the time, that gives officers so much discretion over who they pull over. And the reality is, is that when a police officer then pulls you over, you, I mean, generally people are very nervous in that situation and cops will ask you questions and use their imposing presence to get you to do things that actually are <clears throat> against your rights, but they're not, they're not required to inform you of what your rights are. And they have no incentive to tell you what your rights are because they want you to um, give them as much access as possible. So what do I mean by that? For example, if an officer stops you and pulls you over, he, he or she, whoever, will not ask for your consent to search your vehicle if they don't need to. If they have if they have probable cause to or even reasonable suspicion to search your vehicle, they'll just do it. If they ask you something like, mind if I take a look around or you don't mind if I take a look in the trunk, do you? That is them trying to get consent from you to conduct a vehicle search. And most people, because A, we are socially trained to be nice, and B, you are in a position where there is a massive disparity in power here, and so most people are not going to say no to a cop, um, even though you do not need to consent to a search of your vehicle, the cops won't tell you that. So they'll say it in this kind of like gentle way of like, oh, you don't mind if I take a look around, do you? Or like, you know, you wouldn't mind opening the trunk, would you? And you're like, no, of course not, officer. Like, no problem. And now you have 
now you have given him the legal authority for him to search your entire vehicle. Um, and so in the traffic situation, cops have a ton of discretion over who to pull over because again, like everybody is committing traffic violations all the time. And then once they have stopped you, they can basically ask whatever they want and will use manipulative tactics like this one I just um, illustrated to get you to uh, quote unquote consent to a far more invasive search than they are legally allowed to. Because again, if they had the legal grounds to search you without getting your consent, they would just do it. If they're asking you, it's because they need that legal basis. And so the idea behind this law is to hopefully um, limit some of that discretion and authority that the officers have to conduct those pretext stops and then to escalate those stops when they happen. And if you would like more information about the Wren v. United States uh, 1996 Supreme Court case that, that rendered these pretext stops constitutional, I highly recommend that you check out the book, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution by Ellie Mastall. He is the justice correspondent for the nation. And he, uh, he has a whole section about Wren and goes into far more detail about the facts of that case and how, um, what a watershed moment that was for the use of, uh, of traffic enforcement to um, to promote racial profiling in the United States. So if, again, if you want more information about the Wren case, I highly recommend reading Allow Me to Retort by Ellie Mistal. So going back to, um, the, to this law about now officers, when they stop you, they have to tell you why they have stopped you. So you know, the idea being that there's going to be less room potentially for them to stop you for no reason in order to, again, get into this situation where through their questioning will get you to consent to, to a broader search than, um, than you have to. And just as a note there, like if an officer does say to you something like that, you know, like the very casual, like, oh, you don't mind if I take a look around, do you? Or like, you know, you wouldn't mind popping the trunk, would you? Um, you can say, officer, I do not consent to a search. Now, I know that I'm saying this in a complete vacuum, right? Because you have to assess the situation and traffic stops can be lethal situations for people, particularly for black drivers. And so I know that I don't want to say it like it's just easy for a driver to be able to say that in the moment. But again, if they are asking you for, for consent to search, you don't have to provide that consent. And in many places in the United States now, you, um, the, the officers have to have um, body cams, body cameras, and have them on. And so you would want that to be on the recording if if things escalate, that you did not consent to a search. Officer, um, I do not consent to a search of my vehicle. And again, I know I'm saying this in, you know, recognizing that the reality can be much more difficult because let's say 
the officer searches your vehicle anyway and arrests you potentially on false premises, well, it's it's going to be cold comfort to you um, even if later the charges get dismissed because the officer you know, conducted an unlawful search because at that point you've already been arrested and probably gone to jail. So again, like allowing police officers to be involved in traffic enforcement is a dangerous thing because they have so much discretion over what to stop people for. And then they have the authority to arrest people. And that is a reason not only for this law, but also why many places in the country are starting to experiment with having um, other agencies in charge of traffic enforcement. So taking that out of the hands of the police and putting that into other agencies. And so, um, you know, I think that with traffic stops in particular, it's something that all of us have experience with. And, you know, we all know, or certainly I think a lot of us have had that experience or know that, you know, of, you know, end of come here comes end of the month. And, you know, the, the department has its quota, you know, of how many stops they got to get in for the month, you know, so that they can get their bonuses or meet their quota or whatever. And, you know, I think that a lot of people just know that, you know, and have that sense of this traffic enforcement isn't necessarily based on what is safe, but it is more about like them hitting whatever metrics that they've come up with. And so that is a yet another flavor as to there should be limits on when um, officers can pull people over for traffic violations and then what they are allowed to do in those interactions. And so I, you know, this is a brand new law, AB 2773, again, that if an officer pulls you over in the state of California as of January 1st, 2024, the officer must explain to you what the basis for the stop is. And we'll have to see if, you know, if this has the intended effect of reducing pretext stops and hopefully, therefore, the racial profiling that is embedded in that. And, you know, we have, um, we have some, let's say some data already as to how effective this law may potentially be. If we look at, um, again, going back to Los Angeles and LAPD, um, a, uh, a couple of years ago, um, the Los Angeles Police Department implemented like an earlier version of this law or their version of the law that, um, that that says that for for officers to stop a vehicle for sorry let me say that differently for an off there has to be more than eight because i'm i want to make sure that i'm representing the policy correctly for an officer to pull someone over there has to be more than a minor traffic violation and the officer has to record on their body camera before making the stop why they're making the stop. So again, LAPD a few years ago implemented its own policy 
to try to address this pretext stop problem and requiring their officers to basically stop with minor traffic violations. And if they do want to make a traffic violation, um, uh, if they do want to do a minor traffic violation stop, they need to explain on their body camera before doing the stop, like what is the additional information that they have that tells them that this is a potentially more serious situation. And it seems to be working. Um, the Los Angeles Times has done a lot of reporting on this issue, so I recommend checking out the LA Times reporting on this if you are interested. In terms of it seems to be reducing the frequency of pretext stops. And so it seems to have, it seems to be having a desired effect. And one of the interesting statistics for me as well about this, I was talking, I was mentioning earlier about consent to search and the percentage of people who receive, who consented to searches also fell with, with this change in policy. So that's interesting as well, because I'm wondering if with the introduction of this new policy, like more people became aware of their right to not consent to a search of the vehicle. Um, so it was interesting. And then as another statistic that came out of this, of this change in policy with LAPD, another interesting statistic that shows like the ineffectiveness of these pretext stops is that in only 26% of these, of these stops where they conducted a search, did they find anything illegal? So when they made these stops for minor violations, there was only 26% of those stops that actually resulted in anything, them, them finding anything illegal. So that means that the vast majority of the times that they were stopping people for minor violations, there was nothing else there besides a minor traffic violation, which again, we all commit all the time. So that is an interesting, um, you know, case study. Hope that this statewide law now will reduce the likelihood of pretext stops and therefore reduce the likelihood of racial profilings in traffic and therefore hopefully reduce the number of violent encounters between the police and civilians and hopefully re resulting then right in fewer people particularly black people dying at the hands of police so we'll see and i say that like cautiously optimistically because even LAPD who has implemented this change and it seems to be a positive change LAPD is in court right now as we speak because they've been sued about another aspect of their traffic enforcement policy so this is crazy so apparently LAPD has a policy that if they suspect that a vehicle is stolen they are allowed to call for backup and they that often means that there are many many officers like seven or more officers that appear at the scene helicopters will appear and they are allowed to point guns at the people in the vehicle require them to exit the vehicle to lay down on the ground and spread their legs and handcuff people just on the basis that the the officer suspects that the vehicle is stolen However, 
this policy is incredibly ineffective for two reasons. One, 74% of the vehicles that LAPD pulled over between 2018 and 2021 on this basis, right, on this suspicion that the vehicle was stolen, were not in fact stolen. (laughs) So 74% of the time over a multi-year period, they got it wrong. And in getting it wrong, they subjected people to incredibly traumatic experience, right, of having cops around your vehicle, forcing you out of the vehicle at gunpoint. You have to lay down on the ground. You might be handcuffed. There might be help. Police helicopters flying. Like, it's incredibly traumatic. And to get it wrong 74% of the time. In addition, in those encounters, in less than 1% of those encounters did, quote, objects that can be used as weapons, close quote, uh, were found. And objects that can be used as weapons is like police top, police talk for like basically anything. That doesn't just mean guns. That could be anything that they would classify as a weapon. So not only is the vast majority of times the vehicle's not actually stolen, in less than 1% of the times did they actually find anything that could be used as a weapon, i.e., you know, their excuse for like drawing guns at people and making people lie on the ground and handcuffing people because whatever, potentially it's a safety issue, is not actually the reality. And so LAPD is now being sued over that tra- that um, that policy regarding how they approach suspicions of stolen vehicles. And clearly they need to do some internal work on like having a greater basis for what suspicion of a stolen vehicle is, which also to me is just very bizarre because nowadays like all police departments have license plates, license plate readers and other technology that makes it quite easy for them to determine if a vehicle actually is stolen. So this just reads to me as very shoddy police work that is used for racial profiling. And again, like the statistics play out for that, that black and brown drivers are disproportionately targeted by this policy. So, and also that um, this policy um, is illegal given a recent Ninth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit is a federal court that covers like the Western states, um, a Ninth Circuit um decision interpreting the Fourth Amendment. And the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution is about our right to be free of unlawful or unreasonable searches and seizures. So anyway, it's in court right now, it's being debated, but it's an example of like, mm, let's be like maybe cautiously optimistic about this new state law. And by the way, regarding stolen vehicles, I want to point listeners back to a prior episode that I did about um, Hertz, the car rental company, and how Hertz does such a shoddy job with its paperwork that it often files false police reports reporting its vehicles as stolen when their vehicles in fact were not stolen it's either like the the um you know the customer extended the um the rental and hertz didn't update their records or like the person returned the vehicle and hertz didn't update their records 
or someone as someone did take the vehicle beyond their lease, but then Hertz got it back and then um, rented it out to someone else, but then didn't update their paperwork to reflect the fact that the, like the vehicle had been returned. So in the system, it is still showing as unreturned, like just insane, like incredibly sloppy internal paperwork. It was then resulting and has resulted in at least hundreds, if not thousands of customers then being arrested and charged with with um, theft of a vehicle, which are felony charges, because of Hertz um, sloppy sloppy work and also like shoddy police work to like not investigate that more. So anyway, just as a side note, you, there is an earlier episode that I did about that. Please don't use Hertz to do your car rentals. Um, because you may run the risk of being falsely accused of, of of stealing one of their vehicles. So there is a lot to be to be said about the stolen vehicle stuff. So we have this new law in California, AB 2773, which again is the if a police officer pulls you over for a traffic violation, the officer must explain to you what the violation was, what the basis for the stop was, rather than being allowed to ask you, you know, an open-ended question like, do you know why I pulled you over? That, you know, uh, is likely to elicit from the driver, you know, much more information than they are required to, to actually give. So we shall see. But that is, but that is the new law, and you know, of course, all of this also depends on enforcement. So if the officer doesn't say this, you know, um, and then conducts an arrest anyway, I don't really know yet how it's going to be play out. Like it'll be an interesting question to see from public defenders if this actually ends up playing any type of role to be able to get charges dismissed. Like if the officer doesn't if the officer doesn't ask if if the officer does not state what the basis for the stop is and the stop then escalates to the level of an arrest does the fact that the officer did not state the basis for the stop a reason to throw out the arrest um i don't know i don't know what the enforcement mechanism is so that is a that is going to be a big test as to how effective this law is going to be. Before turning to the local traffic related law that I'd like to cover, one last thing more broadly speaking regarding traffic stops is that if, if you are in a traffic, um, if you are in a traffic stop situation, officers can make you get out of your vehicle. I know that's a question sometimes people have. They can make you step out of your vehicle. But again, they will not ask you for consent to search your vehicle unless they don't have the legal basis to and you consenting gives them the legal basis to. So officer, I do not consent to a search of my vehicle. Again, with all the caveats about what feels safe and realistic in the moment. So 
Turning to the related local law, well, it's a law that was passed at the state level as well, AB 645, but it's for local implementation in certain pilot jurisdictions. And AB 645 is a program called the Speed Safety Systems Pilot Program. And the city of Oakland is one of the participants of this Speed Safety Systems Pilot Program. And the punchline of this program is that it introduces more speed cameras into the city of Oakland with the goal of reducing traffic fatalities and, and traffic related uh, injuries. Now, I will admit that when I first heard about this, I was very skeptical because traffic cameras on their own are not proven to reduce traffic fatalities or, you know, traffic, um, in traffic related injuries. One, because you don't like, if you don't know that the cameras are there, I'm not sure how it's supposed to impact behavior. And two, similarly to the pretext stop issue, speed cameras have been traditionally used to reinforce, um, racial disparities as well and are disproportionately placed in areas where um, black and brown people live. And an example of this is in, is in DC. DC is a highly segregated city because of redlining and various other types of um, racism-based public policies. And the vast majority of the traffic cameras, which are a lot, there are a lot of traffic cameras in DC, but the majority of them are east of the Anacostia River, which corresponds with wards seven and eight of DC. DC is divided into wards. And wards seven and eight are predominantly black uh, wards. That is where the highest concentration of the black population of DC lives. And so it's been a longstanding like scandal in DC about the fact that the majority of the cameras are in um, majority black neighborhoods, which also correspond with the poorest, poorest neighborhoods in DC. And the traffic tickets are extremely expensive. Um, you know, for speeding, it's like a hundred dollars. And then if you don't pay within a certain window, it automatically doubles. Now DC has made some adjustments to that recently, um, which is good to not make it such an incredibly, um, uh, credibly high financial burden and to making sure people have better opportunity to contest um, the tickets and things like that. But so when I was when I was reading about this, you know, new speed camera program coming to Oakland, I was concerned about whether like in DC, it's going to contribute to greater racial disparities, greater punishment of people who are already poor, um, and not actually be effective at addressing traffic fatalities. Now, I read a little bit more about it, and it seems more promising than my initial reticence suggested, but still, like, it's a pilot program, TBD. But some of the things that I've read about it that seem more encouraging is that the, that the, um, that the fines are 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 less than what I was mentioning was the case in DC. So 
Apparently the fines here will be $50 and there will be a 50 to 80% fine reduction if the person is unable to pay. Now I don't know exactly how they're going to be determining inability to pay, but the recognition then of like, it doesn't, doesn't actually help promote traffic safety to be punishing people um, who don't simply don't have the money. Because the reality is, is that if you have the money to pay off a traffic ticket, you'll just pay it off because you don't want to have to go to court. You don't have to deal with the system. You just don't. And so the people who aren't paying are people, generally speaking, who can't afford it in the first place. Another thing that I like about this is I was reading um, that they specifically outline as, quote, equity and privacy provisions, close quote, close quote, is that the um, the the you know the speeding violations that are picked up by these new cameras are going to be cited as non-moving violations, uh, meaning no points on a driver's license. The idea is that they are going. This is meant to um, have police officers less involved in traffic enforcement and doing this more automated. So reducing the number of interactions between police officers and drivers, which is generally a very positive thing. Going back to the um, the finance piece, they do mention something about like there are opportunities for community service in lieu of fines. I am a little bit wary about that because even though there's a very common thing like throughout the United States in court, you know, if you have um, fines as part of your sentence, or costs. Um, sometimes there's opportunity to do community service instead, or community service in instead of you know certain probationary periods or things like that. That also still though tends to have a discriminatory effect against low-income people because you know you're not compensated for the community service because that's why it's called community service. And that can require low-income people, you know, to take days off of work or school or whatever. Um, and they are more likely to be, you know, hourly workers where that can really make a big difference in their income. So um, they, the, and they are going to have likely fewer transportation options as well to get to and from whatever this community service is. So, you know, the idea that community service is quote-unquote free and therefore, like a good alternative to just making someone pay the fine is just is not as clear cut as it sounds. So that's something to consider. Now, some things that I do like that's more on the privacy side of things, which is good, is is that um, you know I was mentioning before how like um, most police departments have automatic license plate readers, and you know with the introduction of AI. Um, there is a lot of concern about additional forms of racial profiling and facial recognition technology and how that is being um, used. And it is already it is already proving to result in additional racial profiling. Lots of people are being arrested on the basis of this kind of uh, facial recognition technology, but it's wrong. And it's more like they're more likely to get it wrong with um, black people. And I believe it was it's either CVS or Walgreens, like one of the big pharmacy chains. There was like a scandal that came out recently about how their facial recognition technology um, 
made it more likely that they were falsely accusing um, people of color of shoplifting rather than white customers. So again, the accusations are false, but their technology, their facial recognition technology was more likely to get it wrong and more likely to more likely to get it wrong with people of color and more likely to profile people of color as shoplifters than white people, um, even though like it wasn't true. So going back to the traffic violations and traffic enforcement, there is concern that any of these like automatic um readers speed cameras like what kind of data are they collecting what kind of uh what is the storage like and how is that information being used because if not done properly it could lead to more racial profiling so according to the provisions that i've read about this pilot program um the speed cameras are only supposed to take photographs no video and it is supposed to only take um, the picture of the rear license plate, not the windshield, not the face of the driver. It says that it prohibits the use of facial recognition software. So we'll see. And then the footage is only retained for five days if no violation is issued and 60 days if a violation is issued. And the footage is collected by the Department of Transportation not the Oakland Police Department, and says it may not be shared or used for any other purpose. We'll see, right? All of these things are we shall see, but that sounds promising. Um, and <clears throat> apparently, I guess the research that was done is that when similar um, programs have been implemented in other places, it has successfully reduced fatal traffic crashes by 40 to 70%. So, and, and re remember one of the things I was concerned about is like, what, how is this any good if people don't know about it? But supposedly they're saying that like, there will be sufficient signage. Um, and so that people know that there actually are these cameras and supposedly if speeding is not decreased by at least 25% after 18 months, then they're going to implement additional what they call traffic calming measures. So I guess there is a recognition as well of like, okay, they'll test this out, but if it, it in and of itself is not effective enough um, at, you know, quote unquote, causing calming to traffic, then they have to implement other measures. So we shall see, we shall see it. I, 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 I'm cautiously optimistic as well about this program. So we shall see. And I think what is interesting about this program is, and uh, you know, particularly this point about how this program is going to be housed within the Department of Transportation rather than with the police department. And this was actually a recommendation from the Reimagining Public Safety Task Force in Oakland, which was this multi-year, you know, big thing that um, talked about like how um, um, Oakland could improve public safety by relying less on police and investing in other departments and other resources. And this is an example of that, trying to move some traffic enforcement into the transportation department 
rather than in the police department. And, you know, the, this is an interesting example of how defunding the police can actually play out in practice. I know that a lot of people, when they hear that phrase, get immediately defensive and, you know, think that it's like an inherently bad thing and like, we need police and what are you talking about? And the thing is, is that, well, there's many, there's many potential responses, but relevant to this, relevant to this point is central to the defund the police narrative is an understanding that there are many areas that police are currently tasked with that police honestly are not the right people to to deal with those things and many police departments will agree with that so traffic enforcement is an example of one of those areas that can move to other departments for example the department of transportation while actually improving public safety rather than reducing public safety. And there are others as well, for example, school discipline or like um, mental health and homelessness issues. I do think that there is a broad understanding that like the police are not equipped um, and not the appropriate people to respond to people having mental health crises or to deal with homelessness. And if we recognize those things, that there are certain social problems, let's say, that need addressing, but the police are not the right people to respond to those problems, that requires shifting funding that the police currently have to address those issues to other departments to address those issues. And that results in defunding of the police because you are moving the funding, let's say, for traffic enforcement to another department, Department of Transportation, for example, you are moving the money that police are spending on enforcing home, you know, going after homeless people and like shutting down encampments and whatever, and moving that, for example, into like Department of Public Health or Department of Public Works or something like that, Department of Social Services to get all of these people, you know, all of these people housed and, you know, potentially Department of Transportation as well, you know, to help figure out like safe parking lots and things like that. If we want police out of the mental health business, again, that also means transferring some of their budget from the police department into, again, like the Department of Public Health or Department of, um, of, of you know, a Department of, of Violence Prevention and Safety or other departments, Department of Youth and Family Services, right, that can, is better equipped, right, to address mental health issues. So I just wanted to point that out that like, the this is actually an example well i don't actually know if i don't think any police department's budgets are being reduced as a result of this pilot program but this is about putting funds in a non-police department to address a traditional a traditionally police um to address uh an area traffic enforcement that has traditionally been seen as a police function so shifting of funds is part of the solution and that is part of defunding the police, shifting the funds. And just the last thing I'll say about that is like, 
many, many things that we care about, including schools and our healthcare system, get defunded all the time and people do not have the same reaction. So just something to chew on. Our schools get defunded all the time um, and we don't get the same, um, you know, uh, doesn't get the same, doesn't get the same reaction. Um, you know, uh, we, we, we cut funding from other programs, vital programs all the time. And yet when there's any discussion of cutting anything from the police, it's like, you know, we can't touch that. And yet we think it's okay to constantly cut from other departments, including education, parks and recreation, departments of violence prevention, um, and, and others. So enough on that. So to wrap up, um, we discussed two new California state laws. One, which is statewide law, AB 2773, which is about what police can and cannot do during traffic stops, and specifically about them needing to tell you what the basis for the stop is when they stop you. And then a, another state law, AB 645, which implements a new traffic safety pilot program in a few cities throughout the state, including the city of Oakland, that is meant to address traffic fatalities by implementing more speed cameras. We'll see. Um, I think as to both of these laws, it is definitely a we shall see. But um, yeah, uh, I hope that this helps. I hope that this makes you more aware of what your rights are, particularly if you are a driver in California. And, um, and I certainly, certainly hope that these things will contribute to us having safer roads and, and less, um, and less racism, which in its, uh, which itself, you know, contributes to things being less safe. So, and, um, you know, uh, it's beyond the scope of these two laws, but certainly something that would contribute very much to road safety would be addressing all of the potholes that are around here. Um, <laughs> so hopefully somewhere in the budget, there is money to address um, the very poor conditions that the roads themselves are in. But anyway, that's a different ask. So thanks so much for listening. I know this was a longer episode, but two new laws that I wanted to flesh out. And if you have any additional questions about these, please feel to feel free to reach out. And yeah, wish everyone safe driving for 2024. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Mm -hmm.